This morning we're going to continue our study of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Psalms 111 verse 2 states, Great are the works of the Lord studied by all those who delight in them. And that is why we're studying the person and work of the Holy Spirit as a church. We just concluded, if you remember, that study throughout the book of Colossians, which outlined for us the perfect person and work of Jesus Christ. How He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. How He rose again on the third day. How He lived that perfect life beneath God's law. And He rose from the dead and He accomplished that perfect work. But that perfect work has to be applied. Just as was taught through the story of the Passover in Exodus. There was a lamb, the spotless lamb that was slain, but for the wrath of God to pass over a house, the blood of the lamb had to be applied to the household. So it is with the perfect work of Christ. Christ has lived, He has died, He has risen again, and yet His perfect work must be applied. The Holy Spirit is the one who applies the perfect work of Christ to God's people. And so we who delight in the work of the Holy Spirit each and every day, we ought to study His works. And so that's what we're doing as a church. Because we had a one-week break last week, I want to quickly remind you of where we've been and what we've seen so far. We began our study on the Holy Spirit by considering the question of who is He? And we saw that contrary to some teachings you see in the world today, the Holy Spirit is not merely a force or an emanating power that is indistinct from the Father. No, rather the Holy Spirit is fully God. He is co-equal with the Father and the Son and is fully a person, possessing all the divine intelligence, will, and emotions that the Father and the Son possess. So that's who the Holy Spirit is. He's the third person of the triune Godhead. Next, we consider the question of what has He done in the past? And what we saw during the revelation of the Old Testament, the coming of Christ, and the creation of the church in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was recently showing us God's disposition of love towards us. By creating life, restraining evil, communicating truth, glorifying Christ, and ultimately by giving us Himself God has proved that the love and the compassion that He has for us as people is steadfast and eternal. Through the giving of the Holy Spirit, God is now able to shower upon us who are His own divine love, understanding, strength, obedience, virtue, boldness, and assurance every moment from now into eternity. So that's what the Holy Spirit has done in the past. He has shown us the very heart of God. That brought us last time to the question of what is He doing right now in the present? And in general, you could say that He is working on turning us from sin to Jesus. That is His mission. Particularly when it comes to those who are believers, He is applying to us Christ's salvation, teaching us Christ's words, imparting to us Christ's life, and giving to us Christ's gifts. In short, the Holy Spirit is always pointing to Christ not to Himself. He is always serving as a servant, helping us to exalt Jesus Christ above all. He is in the business of doing so and helping us to do so as well. 
And so when we become a part of what the Spirit is doing in the world today, we will begin to live lives that are continually pointing to Christ's salvation, Christ's Word, and Christ's life by the power of Christ's gifts. We will begin to, see, we begin to live a life that exalts Christ above all. So that is very briefly what we've seen concerning who the Holy Spirit is, what He has done, and what He is doing. But for this morning, we're going to shift our attention slightly and consider the issue of sign gifts. Now, we already talked about spiritual gifts last time when we studied how the Holy Spirit imparts to us Christ's gifts. And if you recall, we noted in our study that the purpose of spiritual gifts is always very specific. Spiritual gifts are always specially designed by God to equip us believers to either communicate or obey God's Word effectively. Hold on to that. That is going to be vitally important to remember when it comes to understanding our topic this morning of sign gifts. Spiritual gifts are always designed to equip believers to either communicate or obey God's Word effectively. And we saw this is true even in the 11 sign gifts that we talked about and touched on last time in this study. The spiritual gifts of evangelizing, pastoring, teaching, serving, believing, exhorting, discerning, showing mercy, giving, administering, and wisdom and knowledge are all designed to motivate every single believer in the body of Christ to obey God's Word. In other words, God gives all believers certain spiritual gifts in certain areas. Why? in order to serve as signposts and as examples for all the church in how they are to communicate and obey God's Word. And that was true of the 11 spiritual gifts we touched on last time, and that is true of the gifts that we'll begin to consider today. Because if you recall, there were several spiritual gifts, if you were paying attention, that I did not mention last time. And that was on purpose, because I'm going to begin talking about them today. They are often described as sign gifts or miraculous gifts by others. Now, though there's much more that could be shared on this subject for the sake of this introductory study on sign gifts, we're just going to focus on the big three. Prophecy, tongues, and healing. If you hear people talking about sign gifts, chances are they're probably referring to at least one of those three gifts. Prophecy, tongues, or healing. And there are many, many professing Christians today who claim to have experienced these supernatural gifts. They will say things like, God spoke to me, or I have a word from the Lord about the future. They will say, I started to speak suddenly and uncontrollably in this strange tongue. They will say, I went to this faith healer about my headache, and a week later it went away. If you haven't already, you will meet someone who claims to have had an experience like these. And our job as believers is to talk to them. It is to converse with them. It is to communicate the word of Christ to them in a gentle and humble manner. And what I've learned is that when someone claims to have had an experience like this, the most helpful question to ask in that moment is not, did you really experience this? That will get you nowhere. 
You can't enter into someone's subjective experience to validate whether it was real or not. When you try to do that, it's just your opinion against their experience and their opinion, and who's to say what's right in that moment? And that's what they'll say. They'll say, you can't tell me I didn't have this experience. I experienced it. So what do we do when someone claims to have had one of these experiences? Do we just throw up our hands and say, well, this is all subjective, so let's agree to disagree? Well, that's what we would do if subjective truth and subjective opinions were all that we had to guide us through this life. But as Christians, we know and we believe that God has given us objective truth, truth that is true for everyone, by which we can judge and examine all things. Yes, even other people's experiences. As 2 Peter 1.19 says, we have a more sure word of testimony than anyone's experience. Even if it was an experience of hearing a voice speaking to you directly out of heaven that everybody else heard. We have a more sure word of testimony. We have the testimony of God's inspired word. A more sure word of testimony that we would do well to pay attention to. A self-validating word of testimony. And so when someone claims to have these experiences, the most helpful question, just as counsel to you as a pastor, the most helpful question is not to ask them, did they really experience this? No, the most helpful question is to to ask, even if they did experience all these things, which, as we'll see in a moment, is a really big if, even if they did experience these things, does their experience match the genuine and biblical gifts as revealed in the pages of Scripture? That, I think, is the most helpful question in navigating the issue of sign gifts in our world today. Not, did they really experience this, but rather, are these modern experiences the genuine and biblical gifts as revealed in Scripture? And so that's the approach that we're going to take as we ask ourselves the question, what about sign gifts? Before we can analyze these experiences that are being claimed in our world today, we must know, first, what were the gifts of prophecy? What were the gifts of tongues? And what were the gifts of healing as defined by Scripture? And then we can determine if they are still in practice today. So we're going to examine from God's Word what are the genuine biblical gifts of prophecy, the genuine biblical gifts of tongues, and the genuine biblical gifts of healing. And once we know what those sign gifts were, we can then determine whether they still exist. But before we go any further... Let's ask the Lord to give us wisdom, to give us ears, to hear the truth of his word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your word thoroughly equips us for every good work. Father, we thank you that your word gives us all that we need for life and godliness. We thank you that your word is like a lamp to our feet a light to our path. Thank you that your word gives understanding to the simple, gives strength to the weak, gives life to the dead, gives wisdom to the foolish. Father, we acknowledge that we, apart from you, are every single one of those things. So we pray that your spirit would accompany the teaching of your word today. That we ought to understand the things that you have revealed to us. The secret things belong to you, but the things that you have revealed belong to us and to our children. 
So help us to understand the things that you have revealed so that we might honor you and exalt you rightly in the world in which we live. Magnify yourself, Father, I pray, in us through these broken vessels. May you receive all the honor and glory we pray today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I already stated that when it comes to the issue of sign gifts, the most helpful question to ask is not, did they have these experiences? The question is, even if they did have these experiences, are these experiences biblical? And remember, I said that that was a really big if. And I was just going to move on and go right to our main topic this morning. And then I realized, no, I have to communicate to you this morning why I view that as a big if. And so I want to, underneath your introduction, I want to show you why that's a really big if. When someone claims that they've experienced things like the gift of prophecy, tongues, or healing, that immediately raises questions in my mind because of three things. Because of the purpose of sign gifts when you study the Scriptures. Because of the people of sign gifts when you study the Scriptures. And because of the past of sign gifts when you study the Scriptures. So if you're following along under your introduction section in the bullet, bulletin, uh, please write down the purpose of sign gifts. The purpose of sign gifts. Whenever someone says that they've got one of these three gifts, I automatically have a question about that claim because of the biblical purpose of sign gifts that I see in the pages of Scripture. Miraculous gifts throughout the pages of Scripture always had a revelatory purpose to them. In other words, they were always given to validate the divine authority of the message and the messenger. We see this throughout the Old Testament. For example, in Exodus chapter 4, Moses is told by God that he's been chosen by God to go into Egypt to set Israel free. And God tells Moses, one of the ways you're going to do this is I'm going to do many signs and wonders through you in the sight of all Israel in Egypt. Why? Exodus 4 verse 5 that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. See, the signs validated the messenger. Think about it. Moses was about to become the first person to ever be used by God to deliver divinely inspired, authoritative Scripture directly from the hand and mouth of God. He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. And so what did God do? He validated to those in doubt His newly revealed, divinely inspired, authoritative message and its messengers through many signs and wonders. It had a revelatory purpose to it. We see this again in 1 Kings 18. Israel's turned away from God, and so God sends Elijah to rebellious Israel to speak God's word and to call Israel back to the Lord. And so what does God do? He sends Elijah up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he sends fire down out of heaven. Why? 1 Kings 18.36, so that it would be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, 
and that I have done all these things at your word. See, these signs were validating the newly revealed, divinely inspired, authoritative message coming from God and His messenger. That's just two examples of something that we see throughout the pages of the Old Testament. God would validate to those in doubt His newly revealed, divinely inspired, authoritative message and its messenger through many signs and wonders. This was the purpose of sign and sign gifts in the Old Testament. They had a revelatory purpose to them. And that's the same purpose we see in the New Testament as well. It's how it's worked with Christ when you study Scripture. Think about it. Jesus was the final word from God. As John 1, 1 says, He was the word. And so what did God do with Jesus? What does Jesus do when He shows up on earth? He performs many signs and wonders. Why? Because God was validating His newly revealed, divinely inspired, authoritative message of Himself in His Son through many signs and wonders. We already saw this morning in our Scripture reading from John 10. Now, when Jesus said to his enemies in John 10, 37 through 38, he says, if I do the works of my father, then believe my works. No one understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Jesus was saying these signs validate to those in doubt that my message and my testimony about myself is divinely inspired and authoritative from God. His works had a revelatory purpose. That is why Nicodemus could walk up to Jesus and say, I know that you've come from God because we see the works that you're doing. They had a revelatory purpose. We see this again in Exodus chapter 2, or actually in Exodus, Acts chapter 2, verse 22, when Peter says to those around him on the day of Pentecost, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested that is confirmed or validated to you by God. How was Jesus attested, confirmed, validated to them by God? With many mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. They had a revelatory purpose. That's how it worked with Christ, and that's how it worked with Christ's apostles as well. See, after receiving their great commission from Jesus, Mark 16.20 gives us a summary of the entire book of Acts by telling us that the eleven apostles went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked in them, and listen to this, confirmed the message. How? By accompanying signs. It was to confirm the message of Christ. The apostles, did you get that? The apostles were those that were, when we talked about this previously, that had been specially chosen by God and Jesus to be guided into all the truth by the Holy Spirit and thereby write the entire New Testament that we study each and every week. So what did God do? He confirmed their newly revealed, divinely inspired, authoritative message through many signs and wonders. Sign gifts had a revelatory purpose. Do you catch a theme I'm trying to emphasize here? Hey. Uh, Acts 14.3, we're told that Paul and Barnabas spoke in Iconium boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of His grace. How? By granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. It was to witness to the word of His grace. And then finally, Hebrews 2.3-4 tells us that this gospel message of salvation was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness, right? He testified to the validity of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. How? By signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. In other words, God confirmed the newly revealed, divinely inspired, authoritative gospel message through many signs and wonders. The signs had a revelatory purpose. 
So that's the purpose of sign gifts when you see them throughout the Old and New Testament. They always had a revelatory purpose to confirm a newly revealed, divinely inspired, authoritative message from God. That was the purpose of signs and miracles. That is why, by the way, when you study the Scriptures, you only find miracles happen in four clusters throughout biblical narrative. You see miracles happen at the beginning of Israel's national history in conjunction with the writing of the Pentateuch and the early history starting. You see miracles happen at the beginning of Israel's prophetic era, which marks the writings of the major and minor prophets beginning. You see miracles happen at the beginning of Israel's exilic era that marks the final writings of the Old Testament canon. And then you see miracles happen at the beginning of the New Testament era and tapering off from there until John closes the canon around 90 AD with the completion of the book of Revelation. Outside of that, listen to this, nearly 95% of redemptive biblical history never saw a miracle even once. 95%. Why? Because sign gifts have a revelatory purpose. They are sent by God to confirm a newly revealed, divinely inspired, authoritative message. And so even though it's not the most helpful question, the moment someone claims that they have one of these sign gifts, I do immediately have a question in the back of my mind about their claim because of the biblical purpose of sign gifts. Are you claiming to have a newly revealed, divinely inspired message sent directly from God that is authoritative over all men for all time? Is that what you're claiming? Then help me understand why you have this gift. Because sign gifts always had a revelatory purpose. So even though it's not the most helpful question, the moment someone claims that they have one of these gifts, I do always question their claim because of the purpose of sign gifts. It's what makes the if a really big if. Second, because of the people of sign gifts. When you study Scripture, the people who received miraculous gifts like the gift of prophecy or tongues or healing were often very specific and very few. Not everyone had sign gifts. That's a very, by the way, that is the uncontestable reality, right? So whenever you're dealing with someone that says, you have to have one of these sign gifts if you're a genuine Christian, you can just say, yeah, that's just wrong. Like, straight up wrong. Why? 1 Corinthians 12, 29-30 says this. Are all apostles? What's the answer? No. Right? Are all prophets? What's the answer? No. Are all teachers? What's the answer? No. Uh, then listen to this. Do all work miracles? Answer? No. <laughs> right? Do all possess the gifts of healing? The answer is No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret those tongues? No. See, not everyone had these gifts. They were not common gifts given to every believer as confirmation that they'd accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. That is a wrong, false teaching. And even those who did receive these gifts were often very specifically defined and often very few in number. So according to Scripture, who received these signed gifts? Well, the immediate answer if I was to summarize it the best way I can, trying to do justice with every passage that I looked at this week, would be this. The immediate answer would be the apostles of Christ, and then from them, those whom the apostles directly laid their hands on or commissioned. And so, 
First, it needs to be noted that Scripture defines sign gifts as apostolic gifts, first and foremost. First and foremost. 2 Corinthians 12.12 says, The signs of a true apostle, Paul said, were performed among you with utmost patience. And what were the signs of the true apostle? With signs and wonders and mighty works. So there, sign gifts were specifically uh, defined in that passage as apostolic gifts. Gifts that were given to genuine apostles. And that's exactly what you see, by the way, how those sign gifts are used throughout the book of Acts. For example, in Acts uh, 2.43, it says, just after the day of Pentecost, that many signs and wonders were done by who? By all the believers who had received the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost? No, it says through the apostles. And that's repeated in Acts 5, verse 12. And that's proven true, by the way, throughout the entire book of Acts. Of the 11 miracles performed by people in the book of Acts, so this is obviously referring to uh, more than miraculous gifts like healing, etc., though I do think this also kind of leads us in a conclusion about all of sign gifts. Of the 11 miracles performed by people in the book of Acts, all are performed by or for the apostles of Christ directly, with only three exceptions that I could find. Here they are. Stephen, who performed miracles according to Acts 6, verse 8, after the apostles laid their hands on him two verses earlier. Philip, who performed miracles in Acts 8, verse 6, after the apostles laid their hands on him, likewise in Acts 6, verse 6. And then Barnabas, which Scripture suggests performs miracles in Acts 14, verse 3, after the apostles commissioned him and laid their hands on him in Acts 11, 22, and 13, 3. So the sign gifts, that's why I say the sign gifts were apostolic gifts, likely given specifically to the apostles or those who are directly empowered by them through the laying on of hands. In fact, these sign gifts were so closely tied to the apostles themselves that Simon the magician, when he saw the miraculous gifts being done in Samaria around him, if you remember, he walks up to Peter and John directly in Acts 8, 18-19, and he wickedly asked those two apostles if he could pay them money to lay their hands on him so that he could receive the Spirit also. Now, why would he go up to them rather than go up to any of the other believers there in Samaria? It's because he recognized those signs as largely apostolic gifts. Gifts that were only given to the apostles and those whom the apostles laid their hands on characteristically. And so even though it's not the most helpful question, the moment someone claims that they have one of these sign gifts, I always do question their claim because of the biblical people of sign gifts, apostles and those whom they laid their hands on. So then... You know, not that I would ever do this in a counseling situation, but I ask them, so are you an apostle, right? Are you a direct witness of Christ's life and resurrection? Have you been a direct student under his personal teaching and tutelage? Are you a direct appointee, personally chosen by Christ to be sent out on the specific commission of being apostle? No? Okay, well then, has one of the apostles come back from the dead and laid their hands on you? Then I have a question. I have a question about your claim? I have a question. Because sign gifts like prophecy, tongues, and healing not only had a specific purpose, you also see in Scripture very specific people, the apostles and often only those whom they would lay their hands on. So even though it's not the most helpful question, the moment someone claims that they have one of these sign gifts, I always do question their claim because of the purpose of sign gifts, the people of sign gifts, and then third, the past of sign gifts. 
And uh, we'll have to finish with this this morning. <laughs> Sign gifts have a history to them. They have a progression to them. One by the way that is seen in the pages of Scripture, the New Testament itself, and then on throughout church history. And it is a progression of fading away as the canon of Scripture is slowly completed. For example, to give you a quick overview of this in Scripture, very brief, more could be said, but again, this is a survey. For example, in in, uh, A.D. 35 through 41, the book of James calls on those who were sick in the scattered Jerusalem church to have the elders come and heal them through prayer and the anointing of oil. That's in 35 to 41 A.D. Then, in 50 A.D. or so, the Gospel of Mark talks about how the word of the Gospel was in process of being confirmed by accompanying signs. And then, in A.D. 55, a little bit later, in the letter of 1 Corinthians, which was one of the first epistles ever written in the New Testament, That letter discusses sign gifts, but says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, they will pass away. That's the last New Testament epistle that mentions sign gifts. And then what do you find? In AD 66 through 67, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, verse 23, drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Right? He doesn't say, gather the elders over here here to anoint you with oil, or find someone in your church that has the gift of healing. Paul says, Timothy, take your medicine, man. And then finally, in AD 67, the author of Hebrews tells us that the word of the gospel was no longer in the process of being confirmed, but it says there in Hebrews that it had been attested to and borne witness to by signs past tense. And this is actually a fact, by the way. Uh, this, it is actually this fact, by the way, of a completed affirmation of the gospel that is the basis of the author of Hebrews' whole point in Hebrews chapter 2. That we must pay much closer attention to the word of God as it has been delivered to us. Why? Because God bore witness to it, past tense, through signs. It is a confirmed message, a once for all delivered unto the saints' faith. No more signs required, just Faith, and you see that laid out as the major theme of the book of Hebrews. Faith, the importance of faith. And after that, in A.D. 94, the canon of Scripture is closed with the completion of Revelation. So just within the canon of Scripture, you can see a fading happening regarding the mention of sign gifts. And then when you study church history, you don't see any of these gifts show up at all within orthodox, biblical Christianity for over 1,900 years. 1 Corinthians 13.8 said that they would pass away. Historically, I would contend they did. Once the gospel was revealed and confirmed, sign gifts with their revelatory purpose served their purpose and came to an end. And so even though it's not the most helpful questions, the moment someone claims that they have one of these gifts, I always do question their claim. Because of what I see in the pages of Scripture regarding the purpose of sign gifts, the people of sign gifts, and the past of sign gifts. Sign gifts passed away. 
Just like 1 Corinthians 13, 8 said they would. And now I'm supposed to believe that they suddenly returned in 1906 after 1,900 years to someone in Los Angeles, California? And that the Holy Spirit decided to send all of these revelatory, confirming gifts upon a pastor that was deemed so heretical, he was padlocked out of the very first church he ever preached at by the female pastor. I have some questions. Because sign gifts, like prophecy, tongues, and healing, not only had a biblical purpose to them, that's why they were given for the purpose, and people to them. They have a past. A past of fading away, just like Scripture said they would. Because we have a self-confirming revelation given to us by God. And so even though it's not the most helpful question, I want you to understand why I, as your pastor, view it as a big if when someone claims this. The moment someone claims they have one of these sign gifts, I always question their claim because of the purpose of sign gifts that I see in Scripture, the people of sign gifts, and the past of sign gifts. Sign gifts I see in Scripture had a clear purpose to confirm newly revealed, divinely inspired messages from God that would be authoritative over all men for all time. Sign gifts had a clear people The apostles, those who wrote down and declared the good news of Jesus Christ, as well as those whom they laid their hands on at the initial giving of the New Testament to confirm that message. And Syngus had a clear past. They faded away. So even though it's not the most helpful question, I want you to know why I, as your pastor, do view it as a very big if, if these are still happening. But now that I've said all that, and I've done my introduction for you today. (laughs) The best approach in that moment is not to question, did you have these experiences? That is not the most helpful approach, right? Why? Because once you start talking about the purpose, someone can say, well, but I kind of see another purpose here, right? Or when you start talking about the people, they say, well, I kind of see other people here, right? Or when you talk about the past, they could say, well, well, you know, there was always little fringes over here. So the best question to ask them then is, not if they've experienced this, but rather, even if you did have this experience, is the, experiencing, is the experience you're claiming to have line up with how the Bible defines biblical prophecy, biblical tongues, and biblical healing? Because what so many people today are calling sign gifts from the Lord bear very little resemblance to what we see in the pages of Scripture. In other words, even if there was another purpose to sign gifts, which I don't believe there is, and even if they were given to more than just the apostles and those whom they commissioned and chose and laid their hands on, which I don't really see they did, and if they did never pass away, which I kind of see that they did, and could still be somehow in existence, does what we see in the world today pass the test for what qualifies as biblical sign gifts? It's the question I want you to start thinking. Is what we're seeing even lining up with Scripture? And that's what we're going to see next week. It's no, I don't believe they do. That's when we'll look at the biblical gifts of prophecy, tongues, and healing, and what we see in the world just doesn't match up. But that's for next week. I think I finished my introduction. 
But why is it important for us to take time to look at all of this and ask these questions concerning sign gifts? It's important because in a world and in an American Christianity that leans on subjective opinions and subjective experiences, we want to, as Titus 1.9 says, to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that we may be able to give instruction in healthy doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. In other words, in a world and in an American Christianity where His name is blasphemed, we want to honor the Holy Spirit by understanding His work and by safeguarding a true understanding of His miraculous deeds in this world today as portrayed in the pages of Scripture alone. And so may God give us grace in this endeavor to not judge people's experiences as the ultimate authority, but rather run their experiences through the tests of God's Word. That is our ultimate authority. So, with this I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until He comes. To that end, let's pray. Father, I pray that You would help us as a church, to not shy away from any questions, any concerns, any claims, but that You would, as Scripture says, test the spirits to see if they be from You. And that we would judge all things by Your truth. Father, I thank You that in a world where There's a lot of uncertainty about a lot of things. We can go to your word. We can study to show ourselves approved unto you. And we can come to understand your will, your way, and your working for the honor and glory of Christ. Help us as a church to dedicate ourselves this week to that study. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.